You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, hello. It's Owen Jones. Welcome to the podcast. Anna Kasparian is a big deal. She is one of the most prominent progressive commentators in the United States. She's uh, one of the main presenters of The Young Turks, which is a huge triumph uh, as a progressive channel uh, over stateside. And we talk about a lot, the state of American politics. What the hell is going on over there? What's going on with Biden? What's going on with the left? What's going on with Trump? What's going on with Trumpism? What's going? What hope is there for a progressive agenda? Is the US left falling apart? Is it turning in on itself? We talk about all of these things. Uh, to help us keep this podcast going, please do support us on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84. Help recommend guests, the documentaries we do, the issues we talk about, or use the support function in the description. Give us five star, go on, you know you want to, and also subscribe. With all of that, please listen to the wonderful Anna Kasparian. I've got my cats here, but they seem to be very well behaved, which is a rarity. We'll see how that goes. How Um, cute. Yeah, I have my dog next to me, Charlie. What's your dog called? His name's Charlie, and he's... um, He's a rescue. Uh, we got him about four years ago, and he's a mix of mini poodle and a bunch of different terriers. Um, but he's just, I don't know what I would do without him. <laughs> I mean, I have my husband. I'm, I'm lucky that I'm not alone, you know, during COVID. Um, but the dog is a good stress reliever, you know? I mean, I, I find it, you know, in terms of politics being as fraught, and we have to spend our time talking about politics, and that is often quite emotionally, a lot of emotional labor and training. Indeed. And also the pandemic. Horrific. So I think pets have have got us through a lot of this. Definitely. Say hello to Anna, by the way, the wonderful Anna, who is uh, people will have seen on the Young Turks and on many, many other things. Uh, one of the leading progressive commentators uh, in the United States. A big honor to have you. Please like and subscribe if you're watching. But it's great to see you, Anna. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's talk about what the hell is going on in the US, shall we? Why not? Let's have a little Let's chat. Let's do it. Okay, so I want to talk firstly about the whole kind of palaver going on about the economic package, which is being presented at the moment. I, I interviewed Paul Krugman earlier about this. He's, I suppose, a kind of relatively, I mean, he's, his political choices are, are centrist, though he's often critical of, of, of uh, centrist Democrats. What? How would you describe the palaver going on including what the kind of centrist Democrats are pushing for and the danger they're in? Well, something that's been true of American politics for quite some time now has been this uh, tug of war between American workers and the business class, uh, corporate CEOs and the 
insane amounts of money they're willing to donate to political campaigns. And oftentimes their preferences regarding policy differ significantly from what the American people want. And historically speaking, politicians have been able to kind of get away with uh, the legalized bribery that takes place in America. They take the donations from these corporate donors and then carry out the wishes of these corporate donors. And for the most part, I would argue that the American people were a little complacent, not as politically aware, not really politically active. But I would argue that um, toward the end of the Obama administration and certainly during uh, the Trump administration, there was really this awakening in the United States where workers uh, realized that their situation had deteriorated so much that they needed to start getting active. And so what's fascinating is to kind of see Biden realize it to an extent, but still feel this overwhelming need to pander and provide favors for the corporate class. And so what we're seeing with this coronavirus pandemic, um, um, coronavirus relief package, is that Biden seems to understand that uh, this is a moment of crisis and it requires a big response. Uh, we're not going to uh, help the situation by simply passing milk toast, uh, incredibly watered down economic relief packages. So he proposed a $1.9 trillion package, which to be quite honest with you, is certainly not as robust as I would like to see. Uh, I think that we should have recurring $2,000 payments to um, Americans every month until this pandemic, um, you know, it gets a little better and people can safely go back to work. I would like to see more in unemployment benefits. But regardless, the $1.9 trillion is certainly a lot more than what you could expect from uh, the Trump administration or from the Republican Party. Now we're seeing that there's this uh, overwhelming lobbying going on by, uh, you know, the same corporate players who want to implement stricter means testing. So in order to qualify for uh, a one-time $1,400 check, you have organizations like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce essentially writing a letter to Congress and the White House urging them to um, severely limit the number of Americans who would qualify for that direct check. And so the previous coronavirus relief packages had means testing where the amount of money you would receive would begin to taper off after $75,000. And then once you get to about six figures, you don't qualify for any of that aid. You don't, you don't get the direct checks. What the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and people like Larry Summers are now pushing for is to uh, lower that threshold to $50,000. And the means testing, by the way, is all garbage. There should not be any means testing whatsoever. Americans need money in their hands right now right now. And if there is any indication that there are families who are bringing in $300,000, $400,000 or more per year, including now during the pandemic, well then tax them later. Tax them later if you find out that they didn't need that money. But this means testing is essentially a way to implement austerity politics in a package that's attempting to respond to a very serious crisis in this country. And may I note that um, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce spent $82 million on lobbying last year alone. So 
politicians feel this need to pander to them and ignore the American people. But what they need to understand is that you still need Americans to vote for you. And if Biden doesn't take this seriously, and if he continues playing patty cakes with Republican lawmakers and corporate CEOs, then he's in a world of trouble. The Democratic Party is in a world of trouble when the elections come around, both the midterm elections and the presidential election in 2024. In terms of how much pressure can be exerted on the Biden administration from the left, if we go back to 2008 with Barack Obama, despite the fact he wasn't ever from, a, you know, there wasn't a, a strong mobilized US left, to be fair, at the time in 2008. But there was this sense he did tap into, you know, the idealism of a lot of progressive Americans who ended up feeling quite let down. But there was this passive sense that he tapped into of, you let me, I'm a good guy with progressive instincts. You sit back, you know, everything, we, we, we will unleash, we will implement progressive legislation. And since then, there's been the growth through the Bernie Sanders campaign, through both times of the rise of the squad, also BLM and a lot of younger progressive movements, a sense of once you elect these politicians, you have to, you have to fight, you have to mobilize whilst a lot of centrists saw electing Democrats as, as basically politics becomes boring again. That's what they were hoping for. How much do you think it's, it is the case that, despite the pandemic, the left and progressive movements, unlike in 2008, will be able to mobilise, and will they be able to put pressure on the Biden administration, which the Biden administration will respond to? To be quite honest, I, I think that there... There's a growing um, movement for the left to organize in the U.S., but if I were to be honest, I don't think that the left is strong enough or powerful enough to really pose um, the threat to Biden, or more importantly, to apply uh, pressure to Biden to the point where he's actually going to ignore the voices, um, you know, in, in in these, you know corporations and instead listen to what progressives and leftists want. Um, right now, there are efforts for, for instance, in Bessemer, Alabama, you have Amazon workers in a red state uh, trying to unionize. And so labor power is incredibly important. And I think that we're in the beginning stages of something incredible in the country with these um, organizing efforts taking place. Uh, but in terms of applying pressure to Biden, to I don't know what will really, I don't know what will work because when it comes to the progressive members of Congress, let's say the Bernie Sanders or the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, honestly, I'm seeing incredibly weak behavior and it's, it's be becoming depressing. So uh, we can't really rely on our lawmakers who claim that they're on the left to uh, hold Biden accountable. They keep giving him chances, thinking that he's going to do the right thing at the end of the day, but I'm not seeing that. And I really do see this as like a multi-pronged approach for the left, right? So uh, I think organizing is important. We need to build up labor power. And that's a, that's a project that should have begun years and years ago, honestly, under the Obama administration. Um, I know that there are more and more leftist news 
options for people. Uh, so that's certainly helping, I think, to uh, get some people to kind of reconsider their preconceived notions about politics in America and, and what they previously supported. Um, before, I mean, the Young Turks was really the only uh, progressive place to get your news. And now that's changing. And I'm actually really excited and happy about that. Um, but really, at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to be powerful enough to sway any politician, like Biden, by the way, is is organized labor power. And again, we're in the beginning phases, but there's a lot of work to be done. Because I suppose the challenge in the United States is you've got these so-called right-to-work states where anti-union legislation makes it very hard to organize. And because of we have to say we had the offensive against the labor movement in 1979. Half of all workers were unionized. It's about half that now in the private sector, even lower. And in the United States, you had the Reagan offensive, most notoriously the sacking of air traffic controllers during a strike, which was a definitive moment in the way the attack on our miners, the miner strike of the mid 80s was a big turning point in Britain. And now in the private sector, it's even lower. It's about 8% of the United States. Mm -hmm. So do you think, are there kind of, uh, of, of green shoots of labor activity that you look at? Because I look around in the United, in, in the UK, and there are kind of encouraging mobilizations of workers. Our unionization started to go up despite a right-wing government. Do you see those little seedlings sprouting a bit? I do. I do. So I mentioned uh, Bessemer, Alabama, the Amazon workers there who are currently voting uh, to unionize. And there's a very aggressive effort by Amazon, clearly, to um, squash that effort. Uh, so we'll find out the outcome of that vote uh, by March. And then um, Google employees are looking to unionize as well. So that's a promising sign. Um, just yesterday, it was reported that uh, taxi drivers in New York shut down a bridge uh, in order to um, basically be able to uh, get rid of their debts. Uh, you have to go into a tremendous amount of debt just to become a taxi driver in the United States. Um, so what I'm seeing is a lot of civil disobedience in addition to efforts to organize. And I think that that is a promising sign and we need to do what we can um, to help support those efforts. Uh, one other thing that's, I guess, somewhat promising is, you know, defeating Donald Trump. Some people kind of on the left uh, like to kind of minimize uh, the importance of that. But when it comes to ensuring that, you know, there are better laws passed that protect labor, I think that we have a better shot with Biden. You look at Biden's voting record, you look at what Biden promoted and co-sponsored as a legislator, and he was a disaster. I mean, he, to call him a moderate, I think, is being far too generous to him. I mean, he uh, caucused, he worked with uh, the right wing quite a bit on policies that have been incredibly destructive to the American people. And so really the, what we can what we can do right now is, is sure, we, there can be protests, people can be upset with, with the centrist policies that he's proposing, or if he decides that he wants to water down the relief package. Right now, his approval rating is pretty high. It's in the um, you know 60s. But I think what will likely happen with Biden is if he makes the wrong move with COVID relief, those numbers are going to drop significantly. And I don't think the Democratic Party is stupid enough to think that we won't have a repeat of what we experienced uh, with the Trump administration. I think that if they drop the ball on this, 
and Americans become completely disillusioned with the Democratic Party. And I mean, you look at public polling on the Democratic Party alone, and it's pretty bad. But if they drop the ball on responding to coronavirus, they're done. There is a growing group of right-wing conspiracy theorists, not just among the Republican electorate, but now also a growing number of conspiracy theorists in Congress. And that trend will only continue to grow if people don't get the economic relief that they need. And I would be shocked if they weren't aware of that. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Back in 2016, during the Bernie Sanders campaign, you could see a broad left coalition. In fact, well, you saw the reemergence of the left as a political force in the United States, stronger than it had been for about well, two generations. Who knows? Is it the case the US left has begun has begun, it's, it's begun to fracture? And you could see that already in 20, back in the 2020 when you know Elizabeth Warren stood as well as Bernie Sanders and some of the people who supported Bernie Sanders went to Elizabeth Warren. But since the uh, defeat of Donald Trump, there's been a lot of anger expressed on social media often about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And I suppose from a British perspective, not, not to overstate our problems, they are huge, but we do look sometimes at AOC um, with, with something of envy, that if only we mm. had a leader... Like, if only we had our AOC. And we shouldn't do that on the left because we're a collective force and constantly looking for great individuals to be our saviors is not healthy. But it's it's just true. We do look at AOC and think she's charismatic, she's smart, she knows how to do populism, she goes viral. If only we had someone like that. But I have, it's, I've seen the disillusionment. People get angry with her uh, and, and almost treat her as an opponent. What's going on there? What's that fracturing that's taking place and how serious is it? You know, I don't know how serious it is because there's a difference between reality and what takes place on social media. Um, social media, especially Twitter, is full of sock puppet accounts, bots. I mean, I'm sure you know this. Uh, but at the same time, there are what I'm seeing happening right now with the online left is this pressure to survive under a difficult capitalistic media landscape. And so there's this effort for so-called leftist voices to stand out 
and offer their audience something different from what you're experiencing from leftist media already. And so there's this unbelievably annoying debate happening about who's the most leftist, who's the best leftist. And those conversations, to be quite honest with you, are stupid and embarrassing, and I I don't want to be part of any of it. And so some of them feel that AOC, you know, as one person in the House of Representatives that has hundreds of people, hasn't done enough to accomplish progressive policy uh, goals. But she's one person. And and to be honest, there's also this, um, there's a lot of success right now when it comes to uh, challenging incumbent Democratic lawmakers who are so corporatists that they might as well be Republicans. And they're slowly but surely getting voted out of office because they're being challenged by AOC type lawmakers or or candidates, I should say. And so, you know, you have Jamal Bowman, Mondaire Jones, you have more uh, Cori Bush, more and more of these um, progressive lawmakers getting progressive candidates getting elected as lawmakers. And that is a promising sign with AOC. I, I don't I don't know exactly where this criticism is coming from. I don't know if it's genuinely coming from the left or if this is just some sort of astroturf campaign, but she was terrified about what happened in our nation's capital on January 6th. She shared in a very vulnerable video, not only what she experienced that day, but how trauma compounds uh, based on past experiences as well. And she, for the first time, publicly disclosed that she was a, a survivor of sexual assault. And what I saw was bad faith actors who purport to be on the left uh, mock her, criticize her, say some of the most horrendous things about her because they feel that she's over-exaggerating and that she should not be focusing on the efforts to impeach Donald Trump. She should not be focusing on ensuring that the uh, you know rioters uh, face the consequences of their actions. She should only focus on pressuring the Biden administration to uh, and, and Congress to pass a relief package that's robust. But I would argue that you can, um, you know, you can do both things at the same time. And I genuinely believe that she's doing that. And to minimize her lived experience, to minimize the trauma that she's experienced, um, is the antithesis of what the left says it represents, right? I mean, the left is all about ensuring that people uh, live a life of dignity, live a life of decency. And that means taking serious the trauma and lived experiences that people have had. And and what I'm seeing from the so-called online left is the opposite. And I think that it does nothing to help our cause because what it does is communicate to anyone else who might not be on the left yet, but is kind of, you know, trying to figure out what their own political identity is. When you see that kind of discourse online, it doesn't seem like a very welcoming or friendly place to be on the left. Uh, so I, I just think, you know, I still have hope in AOC. I still have hope that we're growing a progressive coalition that will be more powerful as we get more and more of them in there. And then we'll, you know, actually pose a real threat to the Nancy Pelosi arm of the Democratic Party. But for now, we don't have the numbers yet. Mm. And I think that's I think it's important to be real about where we are, where we're weak where we need to you know, make improvements. And at the end of the day, if you're relying on people in a position of power to really represent you, and that's all you want to do, you just want to 
vote for the right people and then sit back and uh, complain about it on Twitter, we're not going to get anything done. What we need to do is empower people who are on the ground, organizing, ensuring that people join these unions. We need to amplify their voices and we need to do what we can to support them because the Twitter activism is garbage. It's nothing. It does nothing. It doesn't pressure anyone to do anything. No one's listening to you. All you're doing is sitting back there and honestly embarrassing the left, if you ask me. I like that kind of bam, telling it as it is. <laughs> on the squad, so the squad for which is obviously of the caucus of left uh, Congress people, which has been infused with fresh blood, as you mentioned, like Jamal Bowman and Corey Bush, uh, absolutely incredible, inspiring new politicians. How much do you think? You know, because obviously they are in, they are in the vipers' nest. They are surrounded by the Republicans, uh, who obviously have been radicalized by Trumpism and also corporate Democrats who are often more hostile to them than they are to the Republicans themselves. How much do you think they they have a, you know, in terms of the organized movements, you talk, we're talking about labor, how much do you think they're connected and or, or is there more to be done to ensure that in a sense they become the congressional arm of those progressive movements across the United States? You know, there was a strike uh, recently in New York. These were grocery store workers who weren't asking for much, uh, considering the fact that they're putting their lives on the line in order to keep working during this pandemic. You know, they wanted a one dollar raise per hour. And what I was really happy to see was that as this strike was taking place, on the day of Biden's inauguration, Representative Ocasio-Cortez decided to skip the inauguration and instead join these striking workers um, to, you know, first of all, to show her support and keep them, you know, going because it's a difficult thing to do. It's terrifying when you're striking. You don't know if you're going to get what you want. These are unionized workers, uh, but you don't know what what the outcome is going to be. So to have someone who has um, such a huge national following show up and show her support, I think means a lot. And I want to see more of that from our progressive lawmakers because there needs to be a marriage of progressive lawmakers and um, the organizing efforts that are taking place across the country right now. Uh, when you have someone as popular as AOC or some other members of the squad, um, showing up to these uh, strikes or doing what they can to amplify the message coming from these organizing efforts, that applies more pressure to the corporations that are trying to squash the efforts to organize. Um, so AOC did that. I, I would like to see more of that. Um, you know, if you want to give uh, members of the squad or progressive lawmakers um, some constructive criticism or feedback, I think that's where you should focus. You should focus on, hey, you know what? Instead of uh, tweeting about this or instead of focusing your efforts on whatever you're focusing on in this moment, uh, you should know about the Bessemer, Alabama, uh, Amazon workers who are trying to unionize right now. Maybe you can go over there. Maybe you can travel to Bessemer. It's a red state and it's highly unlikely that, you know, you're going to switch these uh, Republican voters over to your side immediately. But showing these workers that you want to represent them, that you actually care about their issues, that you want to change their Basically, you want to materially impact their lives, I think speaks volumes. And I do think that there is a possibility to get some of these, uh, you know, Trump supporters on our side. 
I mean, when you look at how united the United States is on the issues, on the policies, it's a no brainer to try to appeal to these workers as a progressive Democrat. No brainer. I mean, two thirds of the country wants a minimum wage hike. When it comes to those direct checks, $2,000 recurring direct checks to Americans, again, we're talking about two-thirds of the country uh, united on that issue. When we talk about division, the division comes from the very top. The division comes from members of Congress, Democrats versus Republicans. And to be quite honest with you, I don't care about those two uniting. Uh, if Biden is serious about uniting the country, he needs to understand that we're already united when it comes to the issues that matter. He just needs to fulfill his role as a president and progressive Democrats need to fulfill their role uh, as legislators and, and get these policies passed without pandering to the corporate elites. Just a couple of final things. Amen to all that. Um, Trumpism, if you like, this kind of right populist movement, which emerged and coalesced around an unlikely former reality TV star. And there's two schools of thoughts on this. Some would say, and it depends where you kind of fall on the role of the individual, I suppose, that actually he has this unique personality and Trumpism couldn't really latch onto some, someone else. You know, it's, it's so specific to the character and personality of Donald Trump. Others would say he clearly tapped into this, obviously, a, a, a pool which of, which of, 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 of right-wing racist backlash, Mixed in with economic insecurity, depends where you fall on that divide, how much is one or the other. Uh, and obviously whipped it up and turned it into a very effective political force. But some would say, well, actually, it, that right-wing populism could find a far more effective operator who's more dangerous and could end up succeeding in 2024 and being far more effective in essentially shutting down democratic institutions and democratic avenues. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen with Trumpism? I think that the theory uh, is absolutely correct. And I think history bears that out. I mean, uh, when you look at uh, fascist dictators of the past, what did they, I mean, look, I mean, what did Hitler do to, to convince people uh, that he was the right uh, leader for them, right? What he did was pretend as though he was some uh, socialist, some leftist, someone who actually understood economic anxieties. And he spoke to those issues, which, of course, he was full of it. He, he didn't actually um, carry out uh, any of the socialist policies that he claimed uh, he favored. Uh, he went off to just continue privatizing industries and, and doing the exact opposite. But the point is that his messaging spoke to the economic anxieties that people were facing. And so uh, the... When, when you do that, when you tap into that economic anxiety, it's far easier to paint the others as the scapegoat. And I, I see that happening with the right wing. I see that happening with someone like Tucker Carlson on Fox News, because oftentimes he'll talk about the economic anxieties. He'll do lengthy segments uh, calling out the cruel behavior of Amazon and how... Uh, how abused uh, Amazon's workers are. But at the same time, he will mix that message with fear-mongering about Mexicans, fear-mongering about Black Lives Matter, fear-mongering about the quote-unquote others. And that is a dangerous message 
that I'm that's certainly seeping into the right wing's consciousness. And so, you know, when it comes to that divide regarding racism or economic anxiety, they're intertwined. They're really intertwined. And um, if you look at history, when people are feeling stressed about their personal finances, it's far easier to turn them toward hatred. Uh, So I, I would certainly tell anyone who feels that economic anxiety to be suspicious of the uh, Tucker Carlson types. But I would also say that the Republic, uh, the Democratic Party needs to wake up and realize that if they don't respond to this crisis and this moment appropriately, it's going to be real easy for a much more clever version of Trump to come into power in 2024. I have to say, I saw a, uh, a, a, what is that, a rant. It was a piece to camera by Tucker Carlson on the eve of the election. And it was, it was chilling in the sense I felt not an emotional impact, you know, but I, it was so devastatingly effective and I could see instantly how it could resonate. It was, it was frightening. Just finally, the Young Turks, which is a, a genuine online sensation in the United States. I mean, as you say now, I suppose there's a, Marvel universe now of uh, progressive and left media outlets in the United States, and they're growing and emerging uh, in in different forms, which is brilliant to see. And we're way behind that in Britain. Uh, We're playing catch up. Um, What is the role of the Young Turks going ahead? What do you see the kind of political, because the Young Turks isn't just just like some new service, which it is, and very effective progressive and left slant and what's going on. But how do you see it? It politically its aims, what do you want it to achieve? Well, you know, Jake Uger, who's the founder and CEO of the Young Turks, um, has had this vision of TYT that I didn't quite agree with originally, but now I do. Um, and what he wants to do is essentially build the company into something that's powerful enough to really be uh, a competitor to corporate media in the United States. And so uh, you know, he has grown the company as a network, and that was a very intentional thing that he's done in order to not just uplift our main show, but to um, amplify and uplift other leftists and progressives. And so, you know, the reason why I was kind of against that in the beginning is because there are a lot of growing pains that come along with it. Um, I've been with TYT since I was, you know, 20 years old. And uh, it's been 14 years now. And it's been tough. It's been very difficult to work in independent media. You don't make great money. Um, And then once we finally started making money, uh, that was when he was like, okay, great. We we were finally, you know, we have a little profit here. We can hire more people and do more shows. And it's like, but but what (laughs) we built this thing. I mean, we went through hell in our original office. uh, There was sewer water dripping on our desks as we were working. That's how horrible (laughs) the situation was because we had no money. And so uh, there have been growing pains as well, where we'll bring people in thinking they're, they're good people. They're sincere and genuine and wanting to accomplish um, progressive goals in, in policy. And then they'll realize, Oh, there's really no money to be made as a grifter on the left. So let me now, pretend as if I'm a leftist who's pandering to the right and then also all badmouth TYT. There's been a lot of that as well, and it's been pretty devastating. However, 
I'm now starting to understand the importance of the vision that Jenk has because uh, corporate media serves um, a devastating role in pushing corporate, pro-corporate propaganda and essentially um, scaring the American people into thinking that the policies that we want might be dangerous. And, uh, and more importantly, like the misinformation that was spread about Bernie Sanders, the misinformation that was spread about Medicare for all and how much it would cost, all of that. There wasn't a powerful enough progressive news outlet to effectively combat that. So what Jenk wants to do and what TYT hopes to do, um, you know, more and more is, is challenge and serve as a real competitor to the misinformation and disinformation coming from our corporate um, media outlets. And long may it continue. Anna, that was a a fascinating, a tour de force about what's going on in US politics right now and the critical role of progressive media outlets like TYT, which is a genuine phenomenon, which I, I hope will be emulated uh, in many, many different countries because it's become a real powerhouse of, of progressives in the left in the United States. So thank you so, so much for joining us and imparting your wisdom, your thoughts, your analysis of what's of what's going on, what needs to happen going forward. Thank you so much, Owen. I had a great time. Thanks for listening to that. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. We've got so much more to come. Do support us on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84 or the supporter function in the podcast description. Give us those five stars. You know you want to. And we will speak to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.